Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Come one and come all. The start of season two is here, baby. Nick Knack goes to the movies. It's upon us. The second chapter. So having recently watched 28 Days Later on Amazon Prime, and with the recent news that the 2021 Resident Evil reboot film just wrapped up principal filming, and just being in a zombie mood, I guess. I knew the what, and that brilliant news almost instinctively picked this episode for me. When I first watched that one scene from one of these movies on Twitter or YouTube, whenever it was, I may not have even had a Twitter yet at that point, the Wesker fight in the fourth movie with Wentworth Miller, who is amazing in Prison Break and the Arrowverse, I was still kind of terrified of Zion movies at this point, but just a few years later, my boy Evan from college would get me to watch The Walking Dead and start me on this dangerous path to all the zombie movies and TV shows and whatnot I could find. And eventually, this took me back to the entire Paul W.S. Anderson film series of Resident Evil. These six movies are the highest grossing film series based on a video game of all time, which may not be too prestigious of a title, but just throwing it out there. They may not always be scary, and sometimes they are faithful to the game plot. Sometimes it feels like they hate all of their non-Mila Jovanovic characters, and they are always kind of silly. But I quite enjoy them for the most part with their over-the-top fun and some of the zombie moments that are in there without getting too gross with their bioweapon parts that the games definitely get into. Side note, I can't wait to get my hands on that remastered Resident Evil games one of these days that PS5 is hopefully in my future. Even though I hate, hate, hate how they ended the Resident Evil film franchise, overall, they're a fun time to turn your brain off and get a little, dare I say, brain dead? Okay, kicking 2021 off with a dumb zombie joke. It only feels right, right? Right? So the first of these films, Resident Evil, aptly named, came out way back in 2002. And the premise, not unlike the games, is a big major company, think like Amazon or Disney big. Seems to be perfect, but it has a ton of military contracts that are mostly for spooky science reasons that end up being bioweapons. Look, we know this is one of those should-never-happen things, but most zombie reasons happen somehow, some way, kind of similar to this. The setup of Resident Evil has some fun intrigue of someone sabotaging everything in the evil corporation, grand-scale company. But the thing that we forget, and I want to bring attention to a Star Wars moment here, the pencil pushers and cooks that were on the Death Star. They weren't all evil, but at least they had some idea of what was going down in the galaxy far, far away, especially after that whole Alderaan thing. Here, working for Umbrella, your average cubicle worker would have no idea what was going on working for the equivalent of Evil Apple, who, while they're popping out some AirPods and iPhones, are also making crazy zombie viruses and Gatling gun arms. I'm not going to say these movies are always scary, but there are some really good set-piece moments early on, and this one does stick to those horror roots a little bit. That elevator scene in the beginning, with that one seemingly most competent woman, who maybe she could have been the main character, we don't know, we're just watching it for the first time, she gets stuck trying to get out of an elevator that she's half in, half out, and that sound that you hear, we never see her get forcibly shot up. I mean, that's some scary stuff. Note to self, always take the stairs when possible at work. There is an elevator, but I try to avoid it unless I'm a little feeling a little lazy or I got a lot of equipment. But other than that, avoid it like the plague, the zombie plague. <laughs> Jeez, Nick. So this movie is the first big action franchise for Mila. And even looking at the poster, Michelle Rodriguez was the second clearly advertised lead in that. Just a year after her first Fast and Furious movie. One of these she would continue to play a big part in. The other was Resident Evil. And just off talking Colin Salmon last episode, he also plays a big role here. If not the longest, definitely one of the coolest in the movie. We talked about him literally last week, but having been in the three non-Goldeneye Brazen 007 movies and a big part of the very early Arrow season, this is actually one of his most known roles. I can't say I really remember him in Mortal Engines as much as I like Ray Stevenson. 
I'd try really hard to block out the memory of the 2008 Punisher attempt. Give me Thomas Jane in the 2004 extended cut all day, any day. And lastly, I have to mention my surprise at seeing James Purifoy the first time in this. I saw this way later than the following, and having seen him tangle with Bacon and Ashmore in that criminally underrated criminal FX show, it was fun seeing him in a feature film. I guess this is all right around the time Alice, the main lead in these movies, gets like Neo superpowers from the Matrix. Not the first time I will compare these films to that franchise. Not on a quality standpoint, mind you, but just other elements. As this did come out a bit after that, a lot of movies took inspiration from the Matrix, but none could quite nail down that cool factor of, okay, I guess is the cool thing in the Matrix movies everyone wears black and does backflips and slow-mo shooting and sunglasses no matter what time of day it is? I don't know. I mean, those are cool things, but maybe they just should have thrown Keanu on this franchise. Maybe that would have made it cool, right? I have to say, there aren't a lot of jump scares in this movie, but the ones that are here, they're subtle and good enough to get you that jolt you want. This is a thing about these and normal zombie movies. The normal rules are zombie exists, they're either slow or fast, and that's the scariest thing. But sometimes man is also the monster. Very much Day of the Dead and Walking Dead messaging. Here some of the scares come from technology for sure, and the zombie mutagen can infect animals, and sometimes we have Frankenstein-like creatures. Thankfully, all we really have is dogs here, and they get weirder as a franchise goes, but thankfully they don't really go hard on any of those insect-like things. Nothing like the gross, modernish King Kong movies or the myth stuff to really take you out of it, or take me out of it. We all know, spiders as big as houses, never going to be my cup of tea. Don't like it. Thankfully, they didn't do it here. In that same vein, it's crazy to think that the most well-known scene in not only this movie, but probably the entire franchise, is the laser grid scene. And don't get me wrong, that ish is scary. Like, super scary. The laser burning grid scene, chopping people and body parts up, it's crazy. And that scene of Salmon jumping up and just barely making it with his knife getting cut a little bit. It's used in every Blu-ray or DVD technology trailer for a time. And seeing him get laser gridded and just pieces falling off him, damn. This one really did some things. It is a bit convoluted at times and so many people who seemingly are on the same side have so many different other goals It may take you to the end to figure it all out. You have some people trying to sell the virus, some trying to bring the umbrella down, some are trying to contain, and some are really, really trying to contain everything. One thing I gotta point out that's not so great, the hologram in this movie, awfully animated. It almost looks like rubbery 2003 CGI Hulk animated. With how barely used it was, you figure they could have done what Star Wars did and make it look even a little bit more realistic. That technology was ages old in the late 70s, but that is why they were and still are so good. One thing I will never get in this or most movies that are in the zombie category is that it always takes people way too long to realize what these things are or even call them zombies. One of the wilder things about The Walking Dead is in 10 seasons on this show and 193 comic books, not one of the people either introduced or came across in this world just says, oh yeah, that's a zombie. Calling it a zombie is what it is. Every other slang in the book. But no zombie name calling? Like if I see someone growling and one leg limping and they're missing a massive chunk of skin or it's like falling off or they're even like bluish, greenish, you best believe I am power walking or running out to the nearest safe place. Non-wood door. Not on the first floor. Where I have a key and surviving as long as I can. This used to be a fun mind game I would play of what to do if a zombie apocalypse started right now, but I don't know, 2020, if things are pretty bad as is, and not kicking off super great in 2021, so doesn't really feel like it's in the mood to play that game as much these days. And when we finally do have some good scary zombie scene, like, they did some great things with them. The scares are more present here than they are the rest of the franchise, and the guns in action are a bit more muted, which is, you know, not to say that the wild antics of some of the later ones isn't entertaining it definitely is but there's something that it feels like the balance is really well hit here i will never understand how the zombie and dogs look so good in this but that liquor especially early on when you see it 
like the running of a CGI thing looks really bad. And it's actually not terrible when moving a bit slower, but that first introduction shot, woof. I think having this movie all kind of contained and a little claustrophobic really helps crank up the scare factor. And it finds a way to make Alice being skilled at combat not feel too over the top or forced just yet. This must have been a big surprise to fans watching this movie for the first time and wondering where any or all of the named characters were in this movie. You could say actors, you could say characters, what have you. There's a blink and you miss it cameo and voiceover of Jason Isaacs, a.k.a. Lucius Malfoy, but that's more of a neat thing over any real connective lore. Overall, it's a small-scale character drama that has a ton of scares and some action set pieces. And if you know how the games go, the movie is no exception and the end is seemingly escaping, but not before some big creature battle. It ends in true Resi fashion. Well, not the most faithful to the games, which it does not have to be rehashing of the exact games for every movie. This one does have those very similar moments, not as much as the next film we're going to talk about here, but definitely some. But like all these movies, it would not be par for the franchise without some crazy cliffhanger, and the one here is pretty strong. They tease the Nemesis program and Raccoon City, where all franchise fans have been excited about. And here we go to the next of the six. So before we get into the movie apocalypse itself, the actors here def do it for me again. Mila returns, but Odid Fair from the Mummy movies is probably my favorite add to the franchise as Carlos Oliveira. I know these aren't main characters, but Jared Harris, Mad Men, and The Terror is great in the minor role, and Thomas Kretschmann was a great villain company man. His talents were squandered in Age of Ultron, and I wish we could have seen more of his role in the MCU but he is a great bad guy in everything I see him in. We also get some more video game name brands with Ian Glenn from Game of Thrones, who in this movie is Dr. Isaacs, but video game fans will pretty much recognize the character as just a clone of shady Dr. William Birkin. We also have a Jill Valentine sighting as Sienna Guillory. She is best here, and the other film in this franchise, she gets the super short end of the stick. They always did more with Ali Larder and Claire Redfield overall. If there's one thing I really, really like about this movie, it, while not a direct movie retelling of Resident Evil 2 and 3, it feels kind of right at home with those. And there's something to be said about feeling right at home and comfortable in the world that was laid out in the source material, in this case video games. Also, Jill Valentine's intro is amazing. While not Alice's, the badass nature of shooting multiple zombies before anyone else really knows what's going on is a ton of fun. And they do that thing of having semi-accurate source material outfits here more than any of the other movies. Well, maybe five a bit. Likewise, a Carlos introduction of jumping out of a helicopter on a bungee and shooting a ton of zombies through the air. It looks a little bad special effect-wise, and they do this a few times in the franchise, shooting, jumping on helicopters. But it is like this movie as a whole, super fun. And in that recently released remake of Resi 3, he got a lot of extra love and how the animation and animators made flowing locks on that next-gen hardware. The one character that was done in a super strange way has to be Nikolai, who here is just a partner on Team Carlos, who used to be a backstabbing, self-serving Russian spec ops agent. He had way more depth as a character, where here is just a name that could be any generic person. But if nothing else, I always laugh at his scenes and his one-liners. While not as heart-poundingly tense as the first movie, this one has some of those fun moments. The church scene is great and hits a few of those nice, we're used to zombie beats. Sometimes having people want to just save their zombified family members and jeopardizing the group. People are just being idiots in any life-threatening situation and leaving the safe area and making it worse by just kind of getting, ah, I gotta get out of here. I mean, if we can all relate to that from our 2020 life, am I right? Classic. If the intros of Carlos and Jill were good... The re-entry of Alice is a spectacle to behold. I think I tweeted something about it, or at least I tried to find a really good gif of her bursting through a stained glass window on a motorcycle and destroying three liquors, which still seemed like the scariest thing last movie. The glow up here is wild, also how they look in this movie, the last one, but seeing what Alice does in this scene is unbelievable, and I'm all for it. 
I didn't mention it earlier, but Mike Epps as the hilarious LJ is what all of us would think to do. Driving around, hitting zombies, yelling GTA motherfucker, and following that up with 10 points, hilarious. But whenever I hear someone use the phrase points or high score, it feels like those are the writers or people who are in commercials who haven't played a video game since the Pong era. In 2004, you should know better by now, especially if the movie property itself is a video game that doesn't count points like a game of Tetris. Be better video game movies. Writing, commercial writers, any video game adaptation. Well, not as overly funny as some of the Alien Predator cheesy dialogue one-liners, throwing a grenade after being bitten and saying, bite this, that's my kind of writing when it comes to movies like this. And the firefight parts of the military and cops are some of the better parts of the movie for sure. And I always like a good knife-thrown headshot. Nothing will beat the one out of the first Matrix. But it's pretty good here. Once we do get our nemesis tease, I think it looks as good as can be. Not perfect, but still definitely good enough. Not bad at all. And the intro is amazing, having him have to take all the special strong cops, the STARS unit. And yes, the acronym is hilarious and long, but they find a way to make a nice word that stands for Special Tactics and Rescue Service. While the Y feels a bit cheaper here of just saying he is controlled to take all STARS members out because it's a test, I guess, I'm fine with the end result, but the how is kind of meh. And seeing the fight between Alice and Nemesis, those are some strong action moments because it teases it for happening much later down the road, and the tease reveal is kind of nice of tying it back into the first movie. Also, kids in zombie movies, horror movies, whatever it is, can't ever trust them. And other Children of the Corn type setup here. I'm fine with it because it's zombie, so it's not as bad. But kids in scary movies, not so good when they are demon-possessed or just evil for some reason. I barely trust the kid they introduce who's not a zombie, Angela Ashford. The girl they're trying to save who is like their ticket out of here. And rewatching this and knowing a part of the third movie and beyond, she's never seen again. And we never know why. Something that I don't know how I was only today years old learning it. But sadly, this becomes a staple of the later films. What this movie does have in spades is cool action scenes of Mila karate kicking and just beating up zombies and umbrella folk and anyone or anything that comes her way. And like Blade and the Matrix, these scenes where she's just beating up guards or zombies, either way, it's a blast. The only thing with these movies, and this isn't this one, it's just the franchise overall, that's a bit unfortunate, is you miss out big time on highlighting any of the characters people love in this rich series, because they make Alice the unrelenting, perfect, unbeatable assassin, and when Jill, Claire, Chris, and even one movie Leon come, it's more of a neat reference instead of an actual cool, deep movie moment. Claire is really the only one who gets any real love from the franchise. They do okay with Carlos, but being in just a third of these movies somehow makes him second best, which is not great odds. And the first end, since we have to have multiple ends in these movies, pretty awesome of Thomas getting his true end of trying to save himself surrounded by zombies. When he tries to end it, he runs out of bullets and gets zombie eaten by the recently zombified by him, Jared Harris. A nice fitting karmic moment, which a lot of the zombie movies of the best of the best have those karmic moments. But like these movies always have to be, there's another super elongated post-credit part. And while we do get our first look just at the end of Ian Glenn here, who would grow to become one of the most important role players in the franchise, somehow our core group leaves this area, gets into the area, brings along a super-powered Alice, and even though she may be a sleeper agent, it's baffling how we got where we are to end the second movie. But if nothing else... This is clearly the movie I rewatch more than any of the other six. I will never understand an extinction how after either five or eight years since the apocalypse started, Vegas is completely engulfed in sand. But that is our main base setting of just Nevada, the desert of this third movie. So one of two things that we never really understand here is where's Jill Valentine and Angie Ashford. Angie is never seen again in the entire franchise. And it takes Jill ages to show up as a cameo at the end of 4 and back in it in the 5th one. 
which is always the movie I don't really remember, and I just finished rewatching it as I'm recording this. And I don't know. Uh, we'll get to that point as we get to it. Sadly, this trend gets worse and worse through the franchise, but had to put it out there. But to the movie itself, it kicks off with a pretty good high stakes raised fake out by seemingly killing Alice off to start the movie. And we finally get some real usage of Ian Glenn in the main scientist villain role. I guess you could say he's the closest we could get to one of our consistent big bads from the franchise. To a degree. I'll, we'll elaborate on that later. I know, weird, isn't it? Wesker, who is only briefly used and recast after this movie, but while mostly as a sitting in a chair in the shadows kind of villain, he's played by Jason O'Mara from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a short-lived but great role and the lead of Terra Nova, something we talked about in our One Season Wonder episode. I'm not going to lie, when we first see real Alice, the scene with the redneck people just sort of feels a little useless. It's a trope that I will never really be into in the horror genre. I mean, that was the whole setup for those garbage Rob Zombie Halloween movies. (laughs) New Year, same bashing on those entries in that franchise. The best version of this is done in the 2010 film Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which takes the most unique spin on that trope in any horror movie ever. So once we kind of get going, the new main Survivor crew feels right at home with the more Walking Dead style. While no one is exactly a standout, everyone seems a bit more developed compared to the tack team from the first movie, minus the main two there. Fair is back as well as Epps, which while they're both fun, the one thing never changes of where the other two survivors ended up. You know, we got half the lead group back from the second movie. Where are the other two? Never mentioned again, not even, hey, when Alice sees Carlos, you could ask, hey, where does Jill end up, by the way? Nope, not in this movie, not in any movie like that. But we do have some excitement, at least, of another named character in Claire Redfield, played by Ali Larder from Heroes, among other things. Her character easily gets the most love, secondarily, as she appears in the following film, as well as the final in the franchise. And that last movie needs all the help it can get to be anything redeemable. Not great. The only one of these I saw in theaters was that movie, and that was such a letdown. The writing on these movies is still pretty funny, and something that Epps and Fair both provide as an outlet for these jokes. Their chemistry together with Jovich plays really well together. Just the whole caravan setup, it's, it's fun, it's neat, and having a ton of kids to have to be responsible for, it adds to that potential for higher stakes. And once again, very similar Walking Dead vibes in this movie, and just this movie. For that show that did not come out until three years later to AMC, but the comics came out in 2003 and have been going strong at this point. This is the start of these movies getting particularly strange, with clone subplots and Alice having magic superpowers. While the superpowers thing is fun, the clone parts never really did it for me. The wildest part of these movies has to be the remake, unintentionally, of the Birds movie from 1963, but putting in a zombie apocalypse movie, cramming it in. Like the Turducken, right? If you don't like more than just zombies and people, these movies will not do it for you. Maybe just watch the first one, two, and then stop at that point. Thankfully, they are never crazy wild like the video games. But Zombie Birds is pretty good not only for a fear standpoint, but just visually, easily one of the best action standpoints. There are mostly two big ones in this movie, and this one also has a flamethrower turret and Alice mind-controlling flame powers to kill all the enemy zombie birds. They always find a way to make her entrances super exciting. It may have taken a bit to get going, but the two action set pieces are amazing and back-to-back, and the action never really gives you a chance to breathe until a small pause in the final third. And there really is so much good here of seeing Alice karate kick zombies and a ton of really fun gunplay scenes from our main characters and the new group members. They all have some moments to shine before inevitably dying, of course. Since unless you're Alice, nobody is safe. And even when they do finally shut her down, all the carnage she is kind of responsible for, which adds a new level of stakes. Even though she's not the savior of humanity, or even really knows these people, I just wish we had a few more Alice and LJ Carlos scenes. And boy does it stink when we have to lose Carlos this early in the franchise. If only they could have held on to their characters for longer at all. And at least Carlos 
has potentially the best send-off of any of our dead characters. I never really understood how Carlos got sick after being a zombie, after already getting the antivirus once, but that's me trying to play medical questions of a fictitious zombie virus. Not really feasible for me to do. And I don't have that medical background either. Also, before the end, I always felt like the amount of people would never fit on that helicopter that they leave on. I don't know weight requirements, but I never really got that part. Even though Ian Glenn plays the original character here of Dr. Isaacs, pretty much the movie version of Dr. Birkin, who, like his video game version, becomes a bit of a science monster, even though he, like everyone else, takes off the next movie, and the movie takes a bit of a slower part of a one-on-one -on -one battle, which, while the last movie did too, this scene never really did it for me in the same scope. But having a fun callback to the laser grid from the first movie, that's fun at least. Sadly, the big cliffhanger is much shorter here, and the clone angle was never the most exciting to me. So, good enough movie, but the cracks kind of start to show a bit here in this third one. I must admit, I have mixed reactions to the movie Resident Evil Afterlife. Of the movies in this film franchise that I don't love, I weirdly have seen this one the most. Mostly because of Wentworth Miller, and the nice intro to Boris Kojo's character. And yes, I pretty much know him from the mockumentary Real Husbands of Hollywood show starring Kevin Hart from BET. This is also the first film that has some actual use of the franchise's Big Bad and Albert Wesker. He is recast here with Sean Roberts, definitely looks the part, but he is not super charismatic in any of these movies. Like I said, Wesker's big fight scene was the first of any Resident Evil movie or game footage I saw. All because of cool Matrix-looking fights and Wentworth Miller. Yes, I will be talking about him a lot here. Look, he was amazing in Prison Break, and I was not okay when he died the first time in the Arrowverse. So, I like movies with him. And obviously, watching this, there was hope he would be in a few movies in the Rezi franchise, right? Right? <laughs> Wrong. But to the movie itself. I do actually like to start with some fun sniper banter, does have a fun reference to the original game name calling a zombie a biohazard. Fun attention and detail that somehow never thrown into the main cast of characters. Interesting. Things are legit bonkers in this movie intro. The action is packed and seeing Alice take on Umbrella Goons, always a riot. Things get weird here when she has a clone army with her and she's throwing ninja stars and slicing up people all the time. Things are truly balls to the walls and I'm kind of here for it even if the clone thing is a bit weird at times. Oh, and she still has her crazy psychic control Greek god Superman-like powers. Just wild stuff. I also have so many questions about if clone Alices are cool giving their lives for main Alice, if there's some hive mind at play. The questions are endless. And once the shooting guns with flying scenes, backflips and all are done, none of these really get answered. The clones are action-wise pretty much given up on, the superpowers are gone as well, and a normal as can be Alice is there in return. They also do a ton of time jumps to try and compile a semblance of a coherent story. It's one thing to do a ton throughout a TV series, but Walking Dead has a few. But to do so many in the same movie so early on, not good at all. And somehow human Alice can survive a incredibly insane plane crash. As if. Sadly, this is where the movie takes a turn. Possessed Claire is used literally in the next movie as Possessed Jill, and this one's not as strong. And after that moment, becomes a way less interesting setting compared to any movie prior. Zombie La La Land should be cool, but instead they spend most of their time locked into one specific rooftop and building. With a new group, other than Kojo, who somehow can keep a plane from falling off a roof with his bare hands, this group is pretty whatever. They really just sit in this locked tower for ages. But Miller is locked in jail to start, which hilarious as a prison break reference, something they do in The Flash and other Arrowverse shows too. And I do like Wentworth in this role. It just doesn't seem like the Chris they had in the games. He's not punching boulders anytime soon. But we also get so little time with him, it's just not the same. It really feels like a missed opportunity to do more Apocalypse LA things than to not be just cooped up for most of the movie. Also, the reason I don't think I care so much for this movie is one of the scary parts is billed to be this axe man. They also have digging zombies, I guess. But all of it just doesn't really do it for me. 
Dog, zombies, and yes, a nemesis are all cool. But this big zombie with an axe is way too important and set PC for me to be in this movie. I like my zombie movies and shows when they have rules. And that is not necessarily this franchise. But blame me for wanting something specific with these movies. Not that they are scary, especially the later ones. But there is just way too much extra that isn't very cool. It honestly feels like they combine Chris and Wesker a bit. Because I really like Chris and Wentworth as a character here. And sadly, the Redfield reunion is briefly, at best, utilized and displayed. But there was so much more we could have done with them together. Sadly, this is Alice's story, and to a lesser degree Claire's. Which, while not bad, once again, throws everyone else to the side. That's the tough part here, balancing how much I like Miller and the Wesker fight at the end, with how kind of blah the middle of this movie is. Also, this is one of those movies that loves to have 3D moments that look just cheesy and stupid these days, and they do this a little bit as the franchise goes on. I don't know if you'd say it's as bad as, like, Friday the 13th 3D, with, like, the eye popping out and other things that are bad. I think it tried to be silly there. Here, it's almost trying to be cool and serious and seeing things coming at you. Oh, watch out for me in this wrench. Oh, I'm throwing it at you. Like, it's just stupid here. And it's almost trying to be cool, and it never will be. Like, shooting zombies is cool and all, but making it so small-scale and generic is just kind of blah for me. And having this one guy kind of backstab the whole group and be kind of weaselly, it's neat. But you kind of know he's a dick and it feels a little out of left field and a bad surprise. Both predictable and random. And it would not be complete without Alice shooting while flying off rooftops and kicking zombies in the head. Those are the true staples of the Resident Evil movie franchise. The worst of this movie is the axe zombie big guy fight. 3D specific scenes, slow-mo flips galore, and just water everywhere for the sake of it being cool and slow-mo and even a little sexy. I hate this part of the movie so much. You know what is fun? Watching the Redfields and Alice fight slow-mo gunplay Wesker and some Zombo Dogs. It was cool on YouTube the first time, and it's still cool. The only bummer here is that they took away Chris and Wesker being teammates and having a history. They're just some people that are fighting this blonde, sunglasses indoors, cliche-looking bad guy. Which, cool, but hope. So much hope. The new movies make these relationships mean something, and not just throwing name characters into a movie that look like them, but focusing on one, only one original character. It doesn't bug me at all until this movie and what happens after, because I love Mila and Alice in this franchise, but man, they missed out on some things with every other character here. And how does Wesker seem to know the Redfields, but they don't know him? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Also, they made this girl Kmart so important in the third movie, they briefly have her here in the fourth, and like most characters, they quickly are forgotten about, to a cliffhanger ending, and a tease to an almost unrecognizable Jill Valentine. Also, Boris turns out to be alive, and makes a few fun jokes, so at least we have that to look forward to. This movie, in short, lots of style, Wentworth Miller, not a ton of substance. Like I said, this next movie probably I remember the least about. I don't know why. I know I like 1, 2, 3 is fine, 4 is a mixed bag, 6, absolute rubbish. I never really know what 5 is. So let's see what happens when I take a look at Resident Evil Retribution. I will say we have a lot of faces back in Retribution with Colin Salmon, Michelle Rodriguez, Oded Fair, all back from the dead to reprise their roles from the franchise. We also get more about brainwashed and now blonde Jill Valentine. Ashmore and Kojo are back from their last film roles. Ashmore does not do a lot here. And we get a ton of new characters. Well, old franchise favorites like Leon Kennedy, Barry Burton, and Ada Wong, who has a surprisingly big role. Can't say it's not weird to miss out on any of the Redfields after last film. But sadly, this trend will come to its most awful worst and unforgivable sin in the franchise when we talk about the final chapter if nothing else this movie starts off in a super cool way kind of like the deadpool movie beginning of slow-mo time scaling but here it shows the entire conflict that was teased in the previous movie but from the end in reverse speed and from alice's perspective and it's super cool to watch and a really interesting way to get the credits in 
and we see a bit of blonde Jill and the Umbrella Goons, but somehow no Chris or Claire, who were literally on the boat with her to start. And if we see the attack from the beginning to end, we don't see them at all. How? <laughs> how did that happen? What happened to them? Did they end up in the water almost immediately? It's laughably crazy if you only have one of the three gun-toting people in this firefight. And no explanation is ever really given. Bad from a continuity standpoint. But it looks cool. Why oh why did you not find a way to make those characters a part of this movie? They were and should have been important. I just hope the new franchise can keep the actors a part of this for more than just one-off movie moments. I think I brought this up during some of the Friday the 13th movies. But they do take a long time to recap the series as is. While they really don't have to. Who is picking up the fifth of six movies and doesn't know what is going on previously? Wow, I really forgot what happened in this movie. So I think what ended up happening, and this is confirmed when I watched it, was there's a clone thing that you start next with another Alice clone who wakes up thinking it's a dream maybe, but it has no relation to anything. And, you know, she goes from housewife married to Carlos, so he's back a few times, to fighting zombies. And I'm starting to remember this one being a bit confusing. The whole premise is there's simulations of different places and countries, and they have different zombie virus situations that they can play, and they use this to show off their product to sell to people, and they use all the clone people to populate their world for different settings. And I guess this is a cool thought, right? It's it's neat to begin with. They really do jump around like crazy in this movie, though, and it's kind of tough to realize what's going on unless you kind of realize it after and watch it again. And like I said, I didn't really remember this movie a whole lot, so I was really remembering as I went watching this, maybe the third or fourth time I've seen this movie. Like, don't get me wrong. Alice kicking zombies, the action and all, it's still amazing here. Nothing different compared to the rest. But the first three really had a specific narrative drive that got lost in the fourth and on in these. I will say, once we catch our breath for a second, the intro to Ada Wong and a seemingly more self-serving, duplicitous Wesker, we like that. We like that a ton. It adds a bit of intrigue and more sleuthing and double-crossing. As much as roundhouse kicking zombies is cool, we need more like a semi-interesting or cohesive plot. The prior is all we can hope for with the latter being already lost. I gotta say, I'm pretty excited for the jokes that Barry's throwing out and just seeing Leon, just like Chris and Jill the first times. And they're in their video game outfits. They look great. I just never get over how bad the hologram technology looks in this, for as good as a lot of other things are. This came out in 2012, Upgrade it to be better. You know what's not cool? Taking one of the worst parts, for me, of the fourth movie and making the Axemen once again seemingly a big set-piece action moment. Like they spend time with these things, but no more Nemesis stuff? There's a reason that the second movie and the two games that it takes inspiration from are classics. This movie is stuffed with references, but even taking something people love from their fourth game, semi-zombie people, Instead, here, they said, here are zombies that are clearly zombies with guns. That counts, right? <laughs> I didn't mean to bash this movie so much, because I think it's fun at times, and the setup is cool, but it barely has any connective ties to anything that has happened before, but they did put a lot of love from the movies and game source material around this movie, just not into the main parts of it. Also, worst special effects I saw to this point in the franchise. I've never seen a worse chainsaw cutting through person effect. Maybe some of the Sharknado moments, but those are so bad, they're amazing. These are sometimes not bad enough to be funny, but even briefly shown, the special effects for a liquor have really evolved through a film. And chainsaws are a big part of the video game, but for some reason that did not get the same love at all. Not gonna lie, having Barry introduce have a quick few good one-liners, Not a fan of him dying this quickly in. He has a great death. That is a ton of fun, but damn, they love killing off name brand characters here. For shame, Paul W.S. Anderson. Clones as a main part of your story is the equivalent of an evil twin sister in a soap opera. Only Star Wars managed to make clones cool and mean something to the greater story. Here, I I don't get it. They're 
sometimes here, sometimes they're not. They're thrown in the fourth, the fifth, and briefly in the sixth. Well, more than briefly when we get to it. This movie also has way too many fake endings, even for an epilogue-riddled franchise. I mean, the slow-mo, Jill, Alice, Fisticuff fight is cool, but having not seen her in ages, it's more of like, why did it take so long to bring her back? Even Luther gets a pretty quick, unceremoniously out-of-left-field on-camera death with Mortal Kombat-like zoom-ins of bone-cracking and some reason in some green visage of it. So once we're at the real end, honestly, this made me want to watch the last one in theaters. Jill, Alice, Leon, Ada, and Wesker all on the same side fighting zombies and all manner of B.O.W.s in Washington, D.C., the Oval Office. Like, this all looks super cool. And she gets her superpowers back, seemingly... The cliffhanger looks amazing, and the final chapter has to be cool. And there were rumors of the Redfields being back, and all manner of everyone coming back for an amazing final chapter. So the end of this franchise looks amazingly awesome, and it was teased, and I was so excited for all these awesome things to happen. But you know what? For as awesome as that end looks, we got something else. The last one of these is going to be fairly ranty. So the last movie showed a conflict to start, but cut out two of the three main surviving characters. Here, it's so much worse. I will say, if nothing else, the beginning recap is at least all new original footage, and the zombie cable car scene is pretty good. You never want to give someone a zombie movie CPR. It never works out. It always you end up with a mouth, lips, or ear bit off or something like that. And there's actually some scenes where Isaacs and Wesker are doing shady business deals. But I have to say, they really screwed up some things of who is actually in charge. In 3, it seems like Wesker is in charge. But by 6, Isaacs is clearly in charge and Wesker's is lackey. All while, he seemed to be on humanity's side. But joke's on us viewers. We pick up with the battle long since done and nobody's ever mentioned again. But Alice is alive in the ruins, of course. But seriously, what happened here? How did you skip the entire battle off screen? Not only do they kill off Jill, Ada, and Leon off camera, and you'd think Ada would be okay because she was somewhat tied into Wesker. They never bring up any of this stuff again, and Chris and some of the minor characters that got abandoned are gone with the wind, never to be heard from again. (sighs) Gone. The movie starts, well, not well, that is for sure, and the amount of random creatures flying all over the super apocalypse-torn America It just isn't for me. But at least the hologram technology in 2016 is finally decent. And thankfully there are some cool Alice fight choreography things. This movie is at its best with those moments. The fact that clones are still such a big part in this movie, why? Isaac was cool enough initially, but having two different versions here. Too much. And religious zealot version? Like why or how did he get here? And they do tease it eventually and bring it up later in the 6 and develop it. But you can't introduce someone in the last movie having a new character trait that you never noticed before. I don't get it. I do like Ian Glenn in general, obviously, but this is too much. I won't lie. Part of my issues with this film has nothing to do with what was in it, but more so what was not in it, what was left out. Because some of the early on tank fight scene choreography, once again, pretty cool. Even in the worst of these, which is this one, the fighting and gunplay was never bad. Even the gore was pretty good. Somewhere... These went from scary to reminiscent of source material to just bad. And even though we love Mila and Alice, sometimes this movie and franchise is just bad. Thank goodness Claire is here. Not sure how she is here, and Chris isn't, but I do like that someone is in three of the six movies as their original character and not some random clone. So once again, we're introduced to another group of people that, as you can probably guess, will not make it through this. And as far as new actors to the franchise, only Ruby Rose, the original CW Batwoman, who also had a nice role in John Wick Chapter 2, was someone I knew about. And while not a huge role, it's nice to have someone else who I have at least heard of. While Raccoon City was destroyed, I don't love how this final tower stand becomes what we get when we had an amazing final stand lined up to the end of the last film. Besides all the logic jumps, which I will try not to get into too much here since there are too many to list off, seeing a nail gun used in a zombie fight, that's pretty fun. Gotta love unique zombie kills. It's why Zombieland is so much fun. 
I should really do an episode on those since I just got the second one on Blu-ray, finally. And I know those are good, both of them, two, two out of two. But so much whatever happens in this movie, I just find myself wondering why this franchise had to end with such a whimper. I feel like I realized the issue. When you mostly full-sale swap the cast, killing them all off, there's never any stakes raised. You don't care what happens to any of these people. And Alice is never really billed as a savior of humanity, and she ain't no Superman. She's more vengeful than anything. So having these awkward moments of making us think she cares about people she just met, it seems like pure and utter nonsense. Sure, TV gives you more time to develop these characters and relationships, but no excuse can be here when you have six movies. Be better. Use your characters. This isn't Friday the 13th, and if it is, make all your characters hilarious stereotypes at least. They do have some pretty good kills of the random people. There's a good fan blade one. I definitely remember seeing in theaters the one of the guy. You think he's going to fall into this place where he's clearly going to die. And he holds on to this thing. But he's holding on. It's going to close back. And it like cuts his fingers right at the end. And you see the tips there. And oh, <laughs> that was probably one of the scarier scenes in the whole thing. Kind of like the elevator in the first movie, actually. If nothing else having not only a tease to another laser grid scene, but it's also been used again from the OG movies, the end is at least cool and it hits different than the rest of this movie. So now comes the big surprise reveal. Alice was a clone the whole time, the real one was the daughter of the scientist who was killed who made the virus, and a lot happens from here. Wesker goes out in the most whatever fashion, the end even here has some fake outs, and somehow through it all, Claire is alive. And we see both Isaacs die, because why not? (laughs) One kills the other one after you thought the other one was dead, and then they're all dead, pretty much. But somehow, Claire and Alice is alive. And obviously, the whole time we were teased, thinking, oh, Alice is going to die. She has to die. She has a virus. But she lives. She gets her memories back. And while they seemingly fix the world, now she has to clear out the world of the remaining zombies that still exist because airflow patterns don't work the way they used to in the modern world. And somehow in the end, she's fighting flying monsters. And guess what? Claire, who we just saw, nowhere to be found in the end. Like, if you weren't going to use her, just kill her at the end and keep it just Alice. I'm just saying, like, pick a lane. What a garbage end to this series that while I at least like things in most of the movies and some I really like, this one is an abomination. Not unlike the gross-ass creatures concocted by Umbrella in more so the video games. But let's get to our rankings list. Not going to really be too many surprises here. Maybe I'll get you with one. But the first list for Knickknack Goes to the Movies in 2021. Number six, no real surprise. Very irredeemable for the most part. Resident Evil, the final chapter, is bad. Very little good here. Bad. Such a bad movie. First real question I had to myself was... Resident Evil Afterlife or Resident Evil Retribution for 5 and 4? And I thought about it long and hard, and I had to tell myself, Wentworth Miller being in the movie cannot mean it's the fourth best movie. It can't. Where Retribution has some weird plot pacing moments, I at least like all the characters, and a lot of references to the movie and the franchise as a whole. So I did go Afterlife 5, Retribution 4, which I'm not mad about. I wish Chris was alive in the fifth and the sixth movies, because why not? But they didn't do it for some reason. They couldn't make it happen. No surprise for number three, the third movie in the franchise, Resident Evil Extinction. Look, it's a fun movie. Oed Fair and Mike Epps are both hilarious, and seeing them back from the second movie is great. I think we get Ali Larder in a great role. We get a lot of Ian Glenn, and we see some Mila superpowers. Probably the most we see of her using these powers in the third movie. It's fun. It's not as good as one and two, but it has some really nice moments and some fun Walking Dead moments, and unlike a lot of the movies that come after this chronologically, this one finds a way to use its shortly lived fun cast of supporting characters. So probably the big one, right? Resident Evil... Resident Evil Apocalypse 1 and 2, where am I going to put them? I'll say this. Resident Evil is probably the scarier movie. It has some great actors for sure. I think Resident Evil Apocalypse is very much the game movie. If you're a fan of the games, you'll like that movie. It feels very 
telling to it. But I think both are awesome movies. Easily the best two in the franchise. I went with Apocalypse, which may be surprising because I like the scares and evil a lot. But I think I just... Resident Evil Apocalypse has some of the goofiness, which is part of the franchise as a whole, film and game. And it feels like it's a fun retelling of a story that's similar to what you know, but not exactly the same. But once again, both great movies, but gotta give Apocalypse the nod. So before we end, let's talk a little bit about the future of the franchise, which was kind of the inspiration to this episode. The reboot film is coming out seemingly on September 9th, 2021, but let us not put specific times on anything with the release date just yet. With how crazy the film release schedule has been, along with everything since 2020, the year from hell happened. Along with the new Mortal Kombat and Uncharted movies, plus a sequel to the Tomb Raider game movie is in development, as well as TV shows from The Last of Us and Assassin's Creed, 2021 could be the year for video game adaptations to finally make it big. Let's ignore Monster Hunter. Yes, we just talked about their lead actress for a long time in this list, but that's a 2020 movie. Let's leave that in 2020 where everything's terrible. Haven't seen it yet, but apparently the reviews are not kind. But T.I. is in it, and we like T.I., I think. Yeah, I like T.I. He's funny in the Ant-Man movies, right? So the main cast this time around, Kaya Scaldelario as Claire Redfield from the latest Pirate movie, Hannah John Kamen as Jill Valentine from the latest Ant-Man, Neil McDonough as William Birkin from so many things, but I'll say the Arrowverse here, Tom Hopper as Albert Wesker, Umbrella Academy, Robbie Amell as Chris Redfield, also the Arrowverse. Just some of the names in this film. But one thing is for certain, they are putting Jill, Chris, Claire, Leon, all in this movie from the start. And if this becomes a franchise, we know they'll be our leading characters and will not get tossed aside so unceremoniously, like Leon and Ada did at the end of the fifth film, and killed off off screen. Or do a one and done and never explain where Chris Redfield is. These are both inexcusable things that still bug me to this day with that last movie. So there we have it, one episode down in this full year of a season. Having started making this last August, it will be a new ride to see how making weekly episodes, time and life permitting, for a full year will go. Hopefully movie theater going becomes a thing, and we can go to breaking down some of the new exciting blockbuster movies soon. But if not, I think I can find movies and TV show things to prate on about. And obviously the HBO Max thing will get a lot of movies to us live in our houses. It's kind of like my one true passion in life, I guess. Well, that and smoothies, of course. But let me know on social at either Knickknack Movies or Knickknack underscore IC. What your favorite Resident Evil movie, game, or just any zombie media property is and why. Also, what'd you think of my rankings list? I look forward to hearing from you. And as always, until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this See You Later, Alligator.